0: whether I'll go to my dojo or my library that night, I think, wow, yeah, I'm glad I didn't join the Army. <laughs> Sorry if you're in the Army. Uh, but we are taking crossovers, uh, green to blue, so just let me know later. Uh, you know, as I'm, I've gotten a very limited uh, opportunity to travel throughout Turkey because our gates are closed. Uh, we're kind of under some security protocols. But because I'm the wing chaplain, I have gotten to go out to uh, Izmir, which is ancient Smyrna, and when I was there, we got to travel out to Ephesus, and I'm sure you've read Ephesus in your Bibles, and I ran a marathon recently in Greece at a place called Marathon, <laughs> and uh, w- while I was there, we got to uh, visit Corinth, and so we got to see some of these biblical sites, and we got to experience uh, what it's like post-Christendom. In a place that was the center of the nexus of christianity in its day you know the the entire christian world was kind of focused in the area of turkey and it all came to a head in a place called byzantium which was later named constantinople which is now uh, the city i fly through every time i come anywhere and that's istanbul and they built this massive structure there and it was called the hagia sophia and it was the face of christianity in the east of the roman empire of its day and eventually, uh, the uh, Arab peoples encroached, and it became slowly over time, over centuries, a more of a Muslim nation. And uh, five times a day, I can hear them waking me up at least <laughs> with the call to prayer. But I've decided I'm going to make it my call to prayer. So uh, I pray to Jesus Christ every time I hear that thing go off, and, and it reminds me that i got to spend some time in prayer before Jesus. So now i i don't get upset when i hear it that it's waking me up i say okay god you remind me i need to talk to you Uh, but as i traveled you know you see the rocks and the stones of of the broken structures that used to be uh, these testaments to a worship of god you know as i walk through the church of saint john all the walls are down there's a couple arches left and there's this set of holes in the floor of the marble uh, in the shape of a cross, uh, where there's steps going down, where they have the Baptist mill pool. And I'm reminded that there used to be a vision there. There used to be a, a vision for a kingdom of God on this earth. And somehow that vision became rubble over the centuries. That happens sometimes we build things for God and our vision gets interrupted and it gets, uh, It begins to uh, get destroyed because we move away from the place that God has called us to. In the book of Nehemiah, uh, we find a man with a plan. We find somebody who has grown up in Iraq, but he's Jewish. In fact, he's never been to Israel. His parents have never been to Israel. His grandparents barely remember what Israel looked like. You know, the reason for that was is there used to be this nation of Israel And it got so far from God, it split in two, and the the northern half got carried off into captivity, and the southern half continued to sin, and then they got carried off into captivity, and they got swept into this uh, area uh, by the Babylonians up into modern-day Iraq, and eventually the Persians took that over. But they took all of the smart people and all the wealthy people and all of the powerful people to a nation far away from what they called home, far away from the promise of God, far away from the vision that God had given them for a nation that belonged to Him. And they pined away, longing for restoration, asking, how did we get to this place? How did we get to a place where we no longer are in God's promise? We're no longer receiving the blessings of God. We're in a foreign country as slaves. As captives, and how do we get back? You know, it's the question everybody asks when they get into a mess that they've created for themselves, isn't it? You know, you, you talk to a lot of guys in prison, I used to be a prison guard, and they'll tell you, I got myself, some of them will tell you, I got myself into this mess, and how do I get out? How do I fix what's broken and get the blessings back? Nehemiah is asking this question. He's asking this question in the midst of uh, a lot of people who've gotten comfortable living in captivity, who aren't sure that they want to go back, they want to do the hard work, they want to face the opposition, who've also been corrupted by sin. God's people have been swept up in a culture of compromise that ended with their destruction and imprisonment. You know, when anybody surrounds themselves with bad influences and with compromised culture, it's easy to get sucked in. It's easy to lower your standards and to say, well, maybe, maybe I can do this too. You know, they looked at a record book. They had a report card for their history. They'd, they'd talk about it all the time. They'd say, okay, here's the king. The king either did right in the sight of God and acted righteously, or they did evil in the sight of God and led their people astray. And they, they evaluated every single king of their history by that report card. And unfortunately, most of the kings got a failing grade. But they would look at the good kings, and they'd say, how can we be like this and get back the thing that God had given us? How can we be restored? The funny thing about rest- restorations, we would all like God to restore us, wouldn't we? We just want God to restore us the easy way, the comfortable way, the, hey, I'm sorry, God, boom, hey, I've got everything I ever wanted. We, we, that's how we kind of imagine it to work. But unfortunately, that's not really how it does work. We say, God, I'm sorry. God, forgive me. God, restore me. And then God sets us on a path that is sometimes very painful to get that restoration. And it can be so insurmountable and so difficult that sometimes we don't want to go take that path. God, is there a different path I can take? Is there somebody else up there that can give me a different plan? Because this plan seems A little bit too hard. And Nehemiah is contemplating the the situation of his country, of his day. He's thinking about Israel, and it's in rubble. It's in shambles. The walls of his city are destroyed. The temple needs to be rebuilt. The promise needs to be relayed on a foundation of faith. And it's making him upset. It's making him sad. And he's looking, he's envisioning what his nation could be, what it's supposed to be. And in chapter 1, verse 5, it says, O God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps the covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant. I now pray before you day and night before, for your servants, the people of Israel, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you, both I and my family have sinned. We've offended you deeply, falling, failing to keep the commandments, the statutes, the ordinances that you commanded your servant Moses. Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses. If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are under the farthest skies, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place at which I have chosen to establish my name. There are your servants and your people whom you redeemed by your great power and your strong hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give success to your servant today and grant him mercy inside of this man. So I'm highlighting this passage because the entire battle for Jerusalem, the entire battle for restoration was fought in chapter 1. Yeah, I just gave away. I skipped skipped to the point of the story. Nehemiah recognizes the condition of the people. He recognized the place that they had departed from God, and he said, if we're going to restore the city, if we're going to get the promise back, if we're going to launch this new vision of restoration, we've got to get on our knees before God and repent for what we've done. We've got to say, I'm sorry, God. We departed from your plan, and we came up with our own plan, and look at the mess that it got us into. You know, everybody who's ever been a teenager knows that story, right? I came up with my own plan, it wasn't mom and dad's plan, and look at the mess it got me into. And Nehemiah gets on his knees and he says, God, I'm going to call you to account by your own words. You said if we did this, we'd get scattered. But you also said that if we came back to you, you'd restore us and i am laying that promise before your feet have you ever done that to god said god this is what you said in your word i'm gonna i'm gonna put you to the test are you gonna set us free from this mess we put ourselves in when god's people leave his protection for sin He, he lets them choose he lets them make that choice he lets them go down that road and a lot of times it gets you exactly where you want it to be, but then you realize you don't want to be there. And you find yourself held captive to a sin. And the only way to get out of that sin is to repent and to turn to God and say, okay, God, I'm ready to do things your way. If God will restore them. Now, Nehemiah prays believing that if God's people return and keep his commandments, God will restore the promise of Israel. He will rebuild the walls. And why, does, why are the walls so important? Now, I used to live in Iraq, like Nehemiah, and I considered it captivity, I can tell you. I've been there uh, four times now. And the thing that I liked most about where I lived in Iraq was that we had these giant concrete slabs that surrounded where I lived. And that was important because it kept all of the bad guys out and kept all of the good guys in, right? And if mortars or bombs or anything came in, those solid T-walls would protect us from the, the things that came to harm us, at least hopefully. It it's the same story for Israel. They built massive walls to protect themselves from the people on the outside that meant to do them harm. And if they were going to restore worship, they had to get protection first. So Nehemiah comes in, and he's been thinking about the condition of his city and the rubble of the walls, and, and, and he keeps asking travelers about what's it like in Israel? Hundreds of miles away. And he comes in and he's sad. Now, it's interesting. Nehemiah's been in captivity, but he has done so well in captivity, he's elevated to a position of authority. He's next to the king as his cupbearer. Now, that means that he got to drink the wine for the king first just to make sure it wasn't poisoned. Now That might not sound like a very good job, right? But the king trusted him with his life, and that gave Nehemiah special access and authority and, and um, in influence on the most powerful ruler of his day now anybody in the military knows that rank is not nearly as important as influence yeah I, I know lots of master sergeants and chiefs that have way more importance than I do you know it, and I can say well hey I'm a major and they can say that's really nice <laughs> in <chaplain. laughs> influence matters and Nehemiah had influence And he comes in and he's sad and the king is concerned about him. And the king says, what's going on? And Nehemiah says, I will tell you the story. And the king listened. And it's interesting, Nehemiah just wanted permission to go back to Israel and to help rebuild the wall. Nehemiah didn't know how he was going to get there and what he was going to do. He just came with a problem. And when he went into that room with the problem, he left with permission. He left with authority. He was made the governor of Israel. He was left with people to help him do the job, and he was given supplies to do it with. He came with a letter of protection to all of the people he would encounter from the king of Persia, saying, this man has been appointed for this task and set free to restore his people and their city. That's a pretty good outcome, right? A lot of times I'll go to the boss and say, hey, can I do this? But very seldom do I walk out with a blank check to go get it done. Nehemiah had the favor of God. Nehemiah had a vision, and God equipped him to get that vision done. God equips those that he calls, and if God is calling you, he's going to give you the things that you need to get that thing done. Is God calling you for a purpose? It might seem daunting. It might seem scary. It might not seem bigger than you, and it probably is bigger than you, but God doesn't call you to do things alone. He calls you to be obedient, and he will give you everything you need to get that purpose accomplished. You know, Nehemiah's got this problem. When you move entire people groups away from their homeland for over 100 years, what do you suppose is going to happen? If you left your house vacant for 50 years, there'd be some squatters in it when you came back. Somebody would have set up shop and said, this is my house now. It still happens in Israel. And that's exactly the condition of Israel. As the people had been taken into captivity, other people had moved into the lands, and those new owners did not want to vacate. They were resistant to Nehemiah's vision. Have you ever noticed you can have this great vision for God, and you go out and say, hey, God called me to do something really cool. And immediately, people are resistant to your vision. You're like, I don't know if that's God. I don't know if God's really calling you to do that. I don't know if you're supposed to build that church or to go on that mission. I remember when I told people I was called to go into the military and I was going to seminary and I was having to take a lot of loans to go to uh, seminary and and my family were like, are you sure? Is that a good idea? Um, Do you have a backup plan? (laughs) I was like, I don't have an alternate gig. This is what God called me to. I'm going out on a limb of faith here, and if it doesn't work out, maybe I'll move in with you. And they're like, are you sure you don't have another plan? (laughs) (laughs) Nehemiah is coming up against resistance. And in his resistance, it comes in the form of three guys with really mean-sounding names. I love their names. If you were watching a Disney movie right now, you'd hear like the, the dark dun 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 right? Enter Tobiah and Geshem. In Sanballat. Don't those, those are great villain names, right? And these are the governors of the other peoples that live in Israel, right? You've got one that lives in Samaria and he doesn't like Nehemiah because it, he's got a different way of r- worshiping God. And you've got one that lives across the border in Transjordan and he doesn't really like Nehemiah either. And then you got one that's kind of the governor of everything else. And the three of them are together. They're in cahoots. They don't want Nehemiah to succeed because if Nehemiah succeeds and rebuilds walls and is a real governor of Israel with a a claim, a true claim to that land, it pushes them out. It undermines their authority. It takes away from what's theirs. And we always come up against opposition when somebody thinks they're going to lose what's theirs. But Nehemiah doesn't care about what's his. He cares about what's God's. Pay attention to that, right? We're going to fail if we try to hold on to what's mine. But if we work for what's God's, we're always going to find success. They were not about to let go of their stuff without a fight. The Bible says that when Nehemiah showed up with letters from the king, it displeased them greatly. I'm guessing they had harsher words, words that I hear sometimes when I go out to the units, words that I will not use here today. Nehemiah had permission, and he had authority, and he had protection to do his mission, but he still faced opposition. Isn't that interesting? You can have all the stuff you need, and people will still stand against you, and it is still sometimes a little bit intimidating, right? God can give you all of the money you need to do something, and he can give you the title, and the power, and the authority, and then when somebody says, well, I don't think that's a good idea, you can go, Ow, that really hurt. Why did he say that? Why, did she, why, why is she against me, right? We, we go through this self-loathing and this doubt, and we don't just trust God when he's given us everything we need to do to accomplish the task. We need to quit worrying about what other people are saying to discourage us and focus on the vision God gave us to get it done. Just lots of people are going to discourage you, speak against you, work against you. They don't matter. What matters is the path that God puts you on. Stay the course. Nehemiah set a course and he painted a vision. In verse chapter, or chapter 2, verse 17, he gets challenged. Then I said to them, the people with him, You see the trouble we're in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates are burned. Come, let's rebuild the walls of Jerusalem so that we may no longer suffer in disgrace. I told them that the hand of my God had been gracious upon me and also the words that the king had spoken to me. And then they said, let's start building. So they committed themselves to the common good. But when Sam the Hornite and Tobiah the Ammonite official and Geshem the Arab heard of it, they mocked and ridiculed us, saying, what's this that you're doing? Are you rebelling against the king? And then I replied to them, the God of heaven is the one who will give us success and we his servants are going to start building but you have no share or claim or historic right in Jerusalem. It's interesting. Sometimes when you're doing the right thing, people will question that it's right, and they'll come up with a new right, and they'll try to convince you that their right is right and the truth is wrong. Have you ever noticed that? And these people that were squatting on Nehemiah's property were questioning his right to actually live in his own home. And if you listen to the voices of dissent more than you listen to the truth of God, you will begin to believe the lie over the truth. You have got to get connected and stay plugged into the truth of God through the Scripture and through the counsel of good Christians and through uh, a critical mind of the things that you're hearing, not just what's popular on Facebook or the news, and figure out what the truth is and stick to it. Because there are a lot of deceptive voices out there that want to make you fail. And if Nehemiah had listened to the dissenting voices to please them, and if he had believed the lie instead of the truth, he would have never got the people to follow him. Because we can't accomplish God's vision alone. And if we are going to build a a vision, if we're going to build a purpose, if we're going to restore God's thing, we have to stay focused on the truth and not be dissuaded by the people that are speaking against it. In chapter 4, when Samballot had heard that they were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged, and he mocked the Jews. And he said in the presence of his associates in the army of the Samaria, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore things? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish it in, any, in a day? Will they receive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and the burned ones at that? Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him, and he said, yeah, that stone wall they're building, any fox going up on it, it's going to break it down. Have you ever seen two people getting ready to, yeah, like two boxers that are getting ready for a fight on TV? You know how like one of them will be just talking really just stupid, nasty crud and just really making fun of the other one? And you know why they do that? They do that to intimidate the other one because if they can get in their head before the fight, they've already won. And the louder that your opposition is, it's probably trying to intimidate you from accomplishing God's goal before you even set out to do it. And you have to make a choice. Am I going to listen to the voices of dissent? And am I going to let them get in my head? Or am I going to trust the thing that God has told me more than I trust the words that I'm hearing? The opposition was so great that even some of the Jews came out from the surrounding areas and said, don't do this, Nehemiah. You're going to get us in trouble. People are going to start persecuting us too. So that'd be like even the other Christians around you coming and saying, don't do the thing God's told you to do because I'm afraid it's going to make us look bad. Nehemiah could only have accomplished his task if he stayed focused on the thing that God had told him. What has God told you? Do you trust it more than you trust all the other voices around you? In chapter 4, verse 14, after I looked these things over, I stood up and I said to the nobles and officials and the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your kin, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. So Nehemiah is really smart. These people come to him with fear for their own lives, and he points them back to something more important. And every military man and woman and every law enforcement person understands this. You don't fight for a cause so much as you fight for the person sitting next to you. Uh, I remember when I was a prison guard, you know, I, I could care less if those inmates killed themselves, but I really did care whether or not my fellow officer was in danger. And if I didn't do my job, I couldn't expect them to do theirs when we were, I was in danger. And so we all put our own fear for ourselves on hold to make sure that they were safe. Nehemiah says, quit worrying about yourselves. Think about we have to set something up to protect not just ourselves, but our families. He points them back to the higher, the deeper, the more important value. And he says, let's do this for them. In the face of a life-or-death struggle, everyone who's ever faced this understands what Nehemiah was doing. He redirected their efforts. And it's so funny, they were in so much danger that they went about their business with a brick in one hand and a sword in another because they never knew when the danger was going to come. They didn't leave the city, they camped out on top of the rubble at night just to protect their work sites. And everybody knew their task, their job, their section of the wall. And I think a lot of times the the section they were working on was near the place where they lived because they had buy-in for the tasks that they were given. The next challenge that Nehemiah faced was that the people were divided. During the years without organized religion, without uh, leadership from God's government, the people had begun to take advantage of each other. They'd begun to... uh, when somebody was hungry, they'd say, hey, I'll give you some food, but then you're going to owe me. And then they'd take their ancestral lands. And then when they didn't have those, they would take them. And they would end up making slaves of their fellow Jews. And Nehemiah says, if you're going to get right with God, you got to quit doing this stuff. There's no way we can accomplish God's vision and mission and purpose for us if we're living in sin. And he called the people to repentance. other challenges came his opponents said you're just trying to set up a, a, another kingdom in opposition to persia they tried to assassinate his character and he had to stand on who he really was then they tried to frighten him by hiring one of another jews to warn him that his life was in danger saying run into the temple and hide there well for a jew that wasn't a priest to run into the temple was sin and nehemiah says even if it costs me my life i'm not going to have compromise Sometimes compromise comes disguised either as fear or opportunity. And we have to recognize it for what it is. There's no force great enough to take our life if God has a purpose for us. And if God wants us home, there's nothing we can do to stop it anyway. And it doesn't matter what the opportunity is. If it's not aligned with God's purposes, it's going to bring you to failure. And Nehemiah recognized both of those temptations as something leading away from God's plan for his life. And no matter what opportunities or fears come your way, you have to stay focused on the path he set you on. Sanballat accused him. Tobias sent him hate mail. Geshem threatened him. But the wall got built because Nehemiah stayed fo- focused on God's plan. The wall got built before the houses It got built before the markets. The wall got built to protect the people so that they could do what God wanted them to do. And when it was finished, Nehemiah opened up the Scripture and read from the book of the law, and the people cried and wept when they were confronted with their sins with how far they had gone from God's promise. How far they fell short and they repented. You know, repentance comes with surrender and often tears. It comes with this sense of, God, I just need to let go of everything I've been holding back on you and let you be in charge. And if you're not in that place, it's not repentance. It's just lip service. And we do that a lot with God, right? Oh, God, I'm sorry. Hey, I'm about to take communion. Forgive me. And then we go about the same stuff all week that we were doing the previous week. But when repentance truly comes and you get on your face and you don't care how bad you look in front of other people and the tears are everywhere and the snot's running and, and you say, God, I have, I'm setting this down and I'm going to do the thing you're asking. Powerful things happen. And this is what Nehemiah said. He said, listen, don't be sad. God is doing something amazing here in our midst. And in verse, chapter 8, verse 10 He reminds us that the joy of the Lord is our strength. You know, we might feel weak. We might feel overpowered. We might feel like the task is too big, that our numbers are too small, the bills are too high, our staff isn't isn't, uh, broad enough to accomplish the task that God has given us in this church or the purpose that God has given you in your lives. And God is ready to equip you. and He's ready to strengthen you. And it comes from having joy in God. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Don't be afraid. Don't be disheartened. Don't be derailed or intimidated or compromised. And don't think yourself unworthy of God's love because turning away from sin, we find that God restores His promise in our lives. Do you want God's promise restored in you? Lay everything down that separates you every compromise, every fear, and allow God to restore his vision for your life. Worship was restored, the priests were were restored, the temple was cleaned from compromise, and God set his people back on a foundation of hope. Sometimes for God to restore what's broken, everything has to be demolished and built back up from the very bottom, from scratch. The answer of Nehemiah is helpful for us today. If we pray, we hear God's voice. God calls us to restoration and hope. God gives us answers when we need them. And typically not a moment before that, right? Have you ever noticed that? I would like God to lay out his plan for the rest of my life. I would like God to say, here's the reassurance. Things are going to work out. And he said, you know, you just got to step out on faith, and I'm going to give you the answers when you need it. God equips us for his calling. He keeps us on track when, uh, and gives us wisdom when we're confronted with opposition. And opposition always comes from doing God's work. You hear that? Opposition always comes from doing God's work, but it's okay. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world, right? God is going to give you what you need to accomplish his calling in your life. Don't be dissuaded by fear or mocking or temptation. And let God lead you into the change. And when he does, go with it. Don't fight it. Let God lead you. The story of Nehemiah begins with a prayer and it ends with one. And the last words of Nehemiah, remember me, O Lord. We ask God to remember us, to not forget about us. In the midst of our separation from Him, in our captivity, in our brokenness, in the rubble, we ask God to remember us and to restore us and to be our strength. When I did this with our chapel, we sat down for three days behind locked doors and we surveyed the needs of the base and we looked at the trends and we looked at the problems and we looked at uh, what was working and what wasn't working and we came up with a plan. And what we realized is that a lot of the problems people had, whether it was alcohol or sexual assault or uh, suicidal ideation, a lot of it really came down to disconnectedness. They didn't feel like they had a place to fit in. And the one thing that we offered as a chapel that nobody else offered was a connected community infused by the Holy Spirit. And that we could use that community to impact the rest of the base, not just the people that came to church, but even the people that didn't. And we came up with a plan. And one of the things that we discovered, if you uh, bring up those, uh, those points on that last slide. Yeah, there it is. Is that intentional small groups help people develop relationships. And we live amongst a generation that doesn't know how to have relationships. You know, a lot of our young people go hide out and play video games. I should be looking at my son right now, hide out and play uh, video games, and they don't know how to relate to each other. The church has got a solution for that. We can reteach people how to have community with one another. And community overcomes failure. And we have a generation that doesn't know how to deal with failure. We can help with that, church. Uh, Worship communities, people coming together in corporate worship, not online worship can impact how people not only relate to God, but to one another. And it can begin to bring healing. People can pick up their own brick and build on God's wall. City engagement and outreach. Learning how to engage the world around us, coming from a place of strength within the church to a place of brokenness outside of our walls through outreach. Missions, going not just beyond our own community, but to the world resilience and relationships, learning how to rebuild relationships so that people are more resilient in dealing with the world around them and building partnerships. Not just what God's doing in our lives, what's God doing with the church down the street? What's God doing with the community center? What's God doing with the other organizations in our city? How can we work together to accomplish God's purposes for Montgomery, Alabama? When a when you have to come up with a plan of how to accomplish the thing God's called you to, you've got to take a survey. Nehemiah spent three days walking around the wall, asking God, what is the condition of brokenness, and how do we impact that? What is our plan going to be, and what is your peace going to be within that plan? And I encourage us as God's church at Christ's community, to survey the world around us, the city around us. Where is it broken? How do we rebuild it? What is our purpose? What is the brick that we're going to hold in rebuilding God's vision for this community? And when we do, we will be restored. And so will those that come with us. So I pray that God gives us a fresh vision and he sends us out equipped to get it done. Let's pray. Lord, I just pray for this church. I pray, God, that you'd be with Pastor Keith, with the leadership here, and with the folks that are in uh, the seats. But I pray even more for those that you're uh, bringing to us. God, we know that if you give us a vision, you're going to equip us with the help, the resources, and the permission to get it done. And I pray, God, that you put a fresh vision in the heart of Pastor Keith, and that you begin the process of rebuilding that this church within a year, will be flooded with uh, more people than can sit in it and that you would begin to restore relationships and marriages and uh, relationships between parents and children, that you would begin to break addiction and suicide and uh, the spirit of suicide and that you would begin to bring people together for the common purpose of being restored to hope before God, before you, O Lord, and that your joy would be our strength. God, we say uh, clearly before you, there's places that we fall short and we lay them at your feet and ask God that you would uh, bring us to repentance, that you would redeem us and restore us and you'd set us back upon your promise and we trust this in Christ's name. Amen.